0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, as we come now to this time of opening up your word and and hearing from you, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord. That you would speak to us through your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Speak to our hearts. Pierce our hearts. Let us know your love and let us see Jesus today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. That's not a normal book that we turn to, is it? Zephaniah. It's only three chapters long, so it's maybe a little hard to find. It's three chapters. Uh, and it's if you go to the New Testament and Old Testament, right where they come together, back up Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then there's Zephaniah. Alright, so just three books from the end of the Old Testament, or four books from the end of the Old Testament. And you can find it there, Zephaniah. Zephaniah. We're going to look at verses, uh, or chapter three, verses nine through twenty this morning. Chapter three, verses nine through twenty. Zephaniah three nine through twenty. Uh, we are in a season of rejoicing. Uh, Robert Maryland lit our joy candle this morning and that's we are in this season where it's marked by rejoicing. We we sing a joy to the world. The Lord is come. Uh, we sing about joy, we think about rejoicing. But what about in times when we don't feel like rejoicing? How do we make it through the season when, we, when things are going wrong and, and we don't see the joy? How do we make it through the season of rejoicing when, when death happens? When illness comes up? When we're dealing with a prodigal child running off into the wild blue yonder? When we lose our jobs? When disaster strikes? How do we find joy even in this season when our circumstances aren't that joyful? That's very similar to the occasion here in Zephaniah. Zephaniah is writing in a time, and uh, actually it's a, a time of revival in Israel, it's in the t- time of Josiah, chapter 1, verse 1 says, it's in the time of King uh, Josiah. He, he led some reforms in Israel, and they actually had a, a, a bit of a revival, but, but it's been up and down in their history, and, and they're fixing to enter into a very bad time. Uh, they're fixing to see disaster strike. Zephaniah is sent by God to warn the people of Israel of judgment that is about to befall them. And so as you you look at this, and I just want to back up to chapter 1, verse 1, and just read you 1 through 6 briefly to kind of give you the feel of the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of uh, Galadiah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous idolatrous priest along with their priest, those who bow down on the roofs. The, uh, to the host of the heavens those who bow down and swear to the Lord the God Almighty and yet swear by Malcolm those who have turned those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him and as you continue to go through the book of Zephaniah it's just more of that. He goes through the judgment that's about to fall uh, Judea, the the nation as a whole, right on down to to focusing in on Jerusalem. And he talks about the judgment that is about to fall the whole earth, all of the enemies of Judea and all of the the rest of the nations around the earth. It's a, a book of judgment, of God's coming judgment. It's not a happy tale. It's not a happy tale. In fact, it comes right on down to chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed." It's all coming down to this final judgment that the Lord is preparing to deliver upon not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, but all of the world. It's a terrible tale, and when you begin to read Zephaniah, you you kind of start getting depressed because it's just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. All that's about to come to pass in judgment upon the nation and upon the world But then, right at the end, right at the end of the book, starting in in chapter 3, verse 9, there's a turn of events. And though Zephaniah has been pronouncing the bad news, now he is getting ready to pronounce the good news. The good news of God's salvation News worth rejoicing over. In fact, one of the proclamations there in in verse 14, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your hearts. God calls us to rejoice even in the face of, of the bad news. He calls us to rejoice because of what He will do. The good news that He has for us today. So today I want us to see that God, the good news of God's grace, even in the face of judgment, God will graciously restore His people to a place of prominence and blessing. That's the good news. Even in the face of of this coming judgment, God says God will graciously restore His people to a place of prominence and blessing. That promise was good for Israel. And it's good for us today who to call him Lord. So, today I want you to rejoice in God's grace, gracious promise of restoration. Even if you're going through difficult times, even if you're, you're facing hardships in this time of the year, it, whatever you're facing, there's reason to rejoice in the promises of God. And so, today we're going to see four reasons to rejoice. Four reasons to rejoice in the Lord, even if we're going through hard times. And we're just going to work through the text, not going to read through it to save time this morning. We're just going to work through it little by little today. So, the first reason that we have for rejoicing is that God will restore His people. God will restore his people. Look at verses 9 through 10. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the river of Cush, that is the river of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering here as he's talking about this he talks about restoring speech but he's talking about far more than just the restoration and the redeeming of speech here and when you think about you ever heard that saying what's down in the well comes up in buckets Uh, that's that is what's down in our hearts that's what comes out of our mouths And here the people of Israel that we saw there at the very beginning, the people of Israel, they've been using their mouths to worship Baal and other idols. They've been giving praise to to vain things of the world. But God says, I'm going to restore your speech. I'm going to restore your speech He's not just talking about restoring the tongue, but He is talking about a change of the heart. He's talking about a change of the character of His people. A change that takes place within them. He is going to turn them from a people who have been chasing after idols to a people who trust in Him and serve Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will change the person from the inside. From the heart out. I'm reminded about of of John Newton. John Newton wrote wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Those words had great significance for Jonathan or John Newton. John Newton, although he was, he was born to a, a good Christian woman, a good Christian mother who taught him at, at the earliest ages of his life to trust in Christ, yet his mother he lost his mother early on, only as a boy, and he was carried away by his father who was not as righteous and as good as his mother. And, and John Newton, he followed a, a path of debauchery. A path of sin. Ultimately, he became a a captain of a slave ship. He says of himself, "I I was capable of anything. I was capable of anything. I would have done anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor, so far as I remember, the least sensibility of conscience. He had no conscience. He was just living a life. If it feels good, do it. Whatever whatever's in front of you, just do it. Just have fun. Live it up now. Or tomorrow we die, right? But yet one day, when he was on that ship and and came through a storm, his heart remembered the teachings of his mother. And he turned his heart to Jesus. And he trusted in the Lord. And that moment, the Lord transformed his life. From that moment on, he he transformed his very character. And John Newton changed his life, and he gave up the slave trade and became a pastor and wrote such great songs as Amazing Grace. Oh, dear friend, God will restore his people And he can change, if he can change a wretch like John Newton, he can change a wretch like you and me. He can ultimately transform us. Though our heart may seek after vain things of this world, if we trust in Jesus, he will transform us. He will renew, restore our hearts, transform us. From singing praise to the vain things of this world to singing praise to God Almighty. God can restore your life today, dear friend. Maybe you've been living a life and you know you've, you're living a life uh, away from the Lord. Living a life in not the opposite direction of, of God. Wanting to do it your own way. God will restore you today if you trust in Jesus. So we have reason for rejoicing this morning because God will restore his people. Second, we may rejoice this morning because God will renew his people. God will renew his people. Look at verse 11. On that day, you shall not, put, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have, been, you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth... A deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. God will not only restore His people, but God will also renew His people. That is, God will will reverse the effects of the fall. When you think about the fall, Adam and Eve, back there in Genesis chapter 3. What caused Adam and Eve to fall? It was the pride of their hearts. God had told Adam and Eve, You shall not, you you have all of the garden here before you. you. You can eat of anything in the garden except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On that tree, you shall not eat it, lest you shall surely die. And then came Satan into the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent. And he came to Eve, and he said to Eve, Did God say you can eat of everything? And she said, Well, God said I could, we could eat of anything in the garden except for the tree that is in the midst of the garden. But of that tree, God said, If we eat it or even touch it, we shall surely die. She, she's changing God's words. But Satan says, Well, you're not going to die You're not going to die. God doesn't want to eat that because the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God and understand good and evil. Eve looked at the fruit of the tree and she saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. It it was good to look at. And she saw that it was was good to taste. It was good for food. It was good for the belly. She saw that it was pleasing to make her and Adam... Give them wisdom, the same wisdom that God had. They thought it could put them on the level of God. And with pride, they partook of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. It was their pride that led them astray. I know how we ourselves follow their same footsteps. And we live our lives in absolute pride. Pride. You see this in the and children from the very beginning. You take a, a two-year-old and, and you go in, you try to help your two-year-old get ready for, for church and and, and they, they come out and they say, no, 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 I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I don't need your help, right? They come on with two left shoes on and, and their shirt turned around backwards, but they can do it themselves, right? And that's us. That's us. God has given us His Word. He's our Creator, right? He created us. He's given us life and breath. Our very being. And He's given us His Word. He says, hey, if you'll, you'll live like this, you'll have joy. If you live like this, things will go well for you. And we back up and say, "No, God, I can do it myself. I don't need you. I don't trust your word. I don't trust that you have my best interest at heart. I'm going to do it myself." And we well up with pride. But God says he would change our hearts. He will take our pride and He will will destroy it. He will put it away. And He'll give us hearts of humility to come and trust Him and rest in Him. We have those sentiments for us in Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and it's swelling. We will trust in the Lord. God says He will renew our hearts. He will humble our hearts so that we may rest in Him and find peace in him as our refuge dear friend when troubles abound god will renew his people giving them the ability to trust in him and find refuge in his grace are you going through tough times today are you going through a hardship then today turn in humility and trust in the Lord. Rest in Him and He will give you rest. He is a refuge in time of need. And He'll change your heart so that you'll find greater rest and peace in Him we can rejoice this morning because God will restore and renew His people. Third, we can rejoice this morning because because God will protect His people. God will protect His people. Look at verses 14 and 15. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart! O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He, he has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The Lord will protect His people. You know, one of our most basic needs is the need for security. We need food, we need clothing, we need shelter, and we need security. We need to feel secure. And the Lord says that He will protect His people. God will protect His people. I remember back when Marybeth and I had just been married, it had to be within the first three years of, of marriage because we were still living in our, uh, my, my grandparents' old house out in the country. And one night, we were, we were there. We were laying in bed, sound asleep. I think I had just dozed off good. You know, I was, I was just getting into that good, heavy sleep when all of a sudden there was this, this terrible racket took place. It was just... It sounded like someone was coming through our front door with an axe. I mean, that's what it sounded like. I, 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 I was waiting to hear, here's Johnny. I, I thought the the world was coming apart. I thought someone was coming into our house, and here I am, this young man, this young marine. I'm ready to come in and fight. I jump out of bed. I run into the living room, ready to take on whatever's in there. Turn on the light, and there is one of those uh, alum, uh, full balloons that's gotten hung up into the ceiling fan. I don't know. Maybe it was around. Uh, uh, val- Valentine's Day or something but we had this full, balland, uh, full balloon just kind of floating around in the house and somehow it had gotten in there in the living room and it had gotten hung up into the ceiling fan and I mean it sounded like somebody was coming in the door with an axe but you know as a young man as a husband I was ready to rush in and protect my bride you know God says he wants to protect his people He is here to protect His people. To protect them from the evil that that is about them. What does God do for us? How does He protect us? First of all, He protects us from judgment. He protects us from judgment. The Lord has has taken away the judgments against you. You see, as a people who have been living in rebellion against God, we have been committing treason against God. And we deserve death because of our treason against a sovereign Creator. That's what we deserve. We deserve judgment for our sin against a holy God. But God says, I take away, I'm taking away your judgment. I'm taking away the penalty of your sin and your treason against me. And how did He do that? By sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who came to this earth and He received the judgment that we deserve in our place. He took it on. He bore it. He died for you and me so that God might protect us from the penalty of our sin, the judgment that we have earned for our rebellion. God protects us from our judgment, but He also protects us from the devil. That old enemy, the devil, who, 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 who slips around like a roaring lion, seeing who he, whom he can devour. That great enemy of ours. Hebrews chapter chapter 2 verses 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself, that is Jesus Christ, likewise partook of the same things. He became one of us. He stepped out of glory and He became one of us. He lived like us. He, He faced the same temptations that we face, yet without sin. He partook of the same things that we partake of as far as temptation goes, that through death he might destroy the one who has power, has the power of death. That is the devil and the deliverer. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He came to destroy the judgment against us. He came to destroy the devil and the power of Satan over us. He came to give us the victory over all of our enemies. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came to protect us, to protect us from that which endangers us the most. Dear friend, with trouble looming and our enemy bearing down upon us, Christ takes, takes over, He takes the lead and, and overcomes our enemy by dying on the cross for our sins, and being raised in power having power over the devil, over sin, and over death. Oh, we have reason to rejoice this morning because God protects us from all of our enemies. We have reason to rejoice this morning because God will restore and renew His people. God will protect His people and forth We rejoice today because God will grace His people. God will grace His people. He will grace His people with His very presence. How wonderful it is to have a ruler who will step down off of His throne and come and dwell among His people. I'm mindful of of, uh, President Clinton. Whether you like Bill Clinton or don't like Bill Clinton, whether you agree with some of his policies or, or none of his policies, uh, there's one thing that Bill Clinton had that, that many people don't. If he met you, you would like him. If you met uh, President Clinton, you would like him as a person because he gets down on people's level. He has an interest in them. He, con- he is concerned about them. I can remember as a child, I was very young, I don't remember how old I was, 10, 11 years old, and, and President Clinton was actually the governor of Arkansas at the time, and he came down to Warren to the Pink Tomato Festival. And he and my daddy knew each other, and so uh, he came up there in the midst of the festival, and and my dad introduced Bill Clinton to my mother and me. And I can remember President Clinton, Governor Clinton at the time, looking down, hello there, young man, and he shook, the governor of Arkansas wants to shake my hand? Here I am, this little guy, I'm nothing, nothing. But he had an interest in me. Here's this ruler who had an interest in me. And that made an impression upon me. Boy, it is wonderful when our ruler takes an interest in us. He wants to be with us and dwell with us. God wants to be with us. God is a a God who, who transcends over us. He is high. He is mighty. He is sovereign over all of creation. Yet, this sovereign God wants to come down and be with us. To dwell with us. To live in our midst. And He did that in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, stepped out of glory off of His throne and came to this earth to dwell among His people. He was born a baby in Bethlehem. Placed in a manger. Live the life in full like we live, to, so that he can relate to us and know us. What a wonderful God who would come down and dwell with his people. Philippians chapter 2, he was in the form of God. But he did not count equality with God a thing that could be grasped. We could never go up to his level. So what did he do? He humbled himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man. God dwelt among his people. He died for his people. He was raised again for his people. So that the promise that is still yet to come There's going to be a day when when Christ returns to dwell with His people once again and for all of eternity. When He will resurrect the dead who have gone before us and those who are still here will be caught up in the air to be with Him. And we'll all be transformed. We'll all be renewed and restored in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And He will come and He will rule and reign among His people. Not simply a God sitting up in heaven barking off orders, but He will be a God who comes down and rules His people by dwelling with His people. God wants to be with His people. What a wonderful God we serve. As high and mighty as He is, He wants to be with us. He wants to grace us with His presence. And dwell among His people. Oh, we give thanks for our God who comes down to dwell with His people. That song that we often hear on the radio this time of the year from uh, the band down here, How many kings? How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many great have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that has torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. We have a God who loves us and wants to be with us. Dear friend, He wants to have a relationship with you. And He doesn't call us to come up to His level, but He comes down to ours. so That we might have a relationship with Him. That we might dwell with Him. God will restore and renew you. He will protect you. He will grace you with his presence if you only trust in him. Look at the last section there. 18 through 20. I want you to see this. God says, "I will gather those of you whom who mourn for the festival." so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, for I will make you Renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Notice the emphasis there. It's God who does it. I will, God says. I will. The Lord will do it. The Lord will restore. The Lord will renew. The Lord will protect. The Lord will grace his people with his presence. There's nothing for you and I to do. For God has done it all. By coming to this earth and dying on the cross for us, he did it all, he won the victory. And the promise is sure. Oh, that last little phrase of the book, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. This is a promise from God. He will do it. You can bank on it. The Lord will fulfill His promise today. If you'll just trust in Him every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe today, you're here and you're going, through a, you're going through a tough time. And though it is a season that's supposed to be for, for joy and rejoicing, you're just not feeling it. I want you to know today you can experience joy that surpasses all understanding, even in hard times, if you would only trust in the Lord. Trust in what He has done for you in Jesus Christ. Turn away from sin and doubt, rejoice in Christ he will give you peace and rest and he will give you joy in whatever season you're going through will you trust him today oh heavenly father we thank you for the assurance that we have in your great promise you are creator you are sustainer And when You speak, we can listen and we can trust that Your Word is true. Though this world is coming to a time of judgment, Lord, we can find hope and joy in Your eternal promise. Oh Lord, restore us and renew us today. Protect us from all that that threatens us. And Lord, let us know Your presence. Oh Lord, if there is one, just one today, who's never trusted in You, may they find hope in Your promise today. May they turn to Jesus and find a new life in Him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.